there's really kind of almost no such thing as provoking China. China provokes itself, really, is what's going on there. Hello again, and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo. If this is your first time checking out our podcast, you might also enjoy some of our past episodes, which are all listed on our blog site at pwnilo.com. In this episode, I'm chatting with Courtney Donovan-Smith, who is based in Taiwan. He's a regular contributing columnist for Taiwan News, as well as the central Taiwan correspondent for ICRT-FM Radio, and a political analyst at the Taiwan Report. We have a lot to cover today, including the somewhat controversial visit of former Taiwanese President Ma Ying-jeou to China, an overview of the political landscape in Taiwan as the January 2024 presidential election approaches, recent forfeiting of diplomatic ties with Taiwan by Honduras, and President Tsai Ing-wen's U.S. stopover and upcoming meeting with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But first, for those of you new to Taiwan politics, a little background information may be helpful. Taiwan's political scene is divided into two major camps in terms of cross-strait relations. In other words, how Taiwan should relate to China or the PRC. The Pan-Green Coalition, which is mainly led by the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP, leans pro-independence. And the Pan-Blue Coalition, mainly led by the Kuomintang, or KMT, leans pro-unification with China. Moderates in both camps regard the Republic of China as a sovereign independent state. But the Pan-Green Coalition regard the Republic of China as synonymous with Taiwan, while moderates in the Pan-Blue Coalition view it as synonymous with China. We've added links in our blog if you want to dive deeper. Recently, commentators have been remarking how ties between the KMT and the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, have been warming. And this week, we see what has been described as a path-breaking visit by former Taiwanese President Ma Ying-jeou to the People's Republic of China. I began by asking Courtney Dunvant-Smith about the significance of this visit and the background leading up to it. Um, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. There's, there's several layers to that, to that question. Um, starting with the KMT and the CCP's relations recently warming up, under the previous KMT chair, Johnny Jiang, he, uh, he relations with the Chinese Communist Party cooled significantly under him. And because Johnny Jiang is a, was a very, a very light blue politician, um, he's not a deep blue politician. So he's, he's more pro-Taiwan and more pro-U.S., than the you know the strong unificationist wing of the party and the kmt had just come off of the 2020 election where they lost in a landslide and so there's a lot of reappraisal in some elements within the kmt about how to position themselves towards the public so he started moving away from china now when the the current chair came in Eric Jew, last year he did some he he made some statements that were really quite remarkable. He talked about uh, he said that the KMT has always been anti-communist. Uh, he said that you know that Taiwan has always been uh, pro-U.S. or sorry the KMT has always been pro-U.S. Um, he started 
down-talking the 1992 consensus by calling it a non-consensus consensus. So he was making a lot of very bold statements within the KMT. Now, what I think happened is, is that the, the elites in the party, I think, pushed back on him because by a few months later, he had really toned it down. And uh, he sent Andrew Xia, the, uh, his deputy, um, during the Pelosi visit when you know China was conducting all these war games. Right immediately after that, uh, Andrew Xia uh, took a KMT delegation to China. And at, ever since that happened, uh, uh, Eric Ju's references to China have changed. And he's been a lot more friendly. Um, so now he talks about a double D strategy, which is deterrence, which means bolstering the military, and dialogue, which, by which he means with China. So whereas before he seemed to be really trying to cut off relations with China, he's kind of rolled that back. And so that's, I think, what I, behind the scenes, I'm pretty sure he came under a lot of pressure. So, but recently, uh, relations have been improving between the, the KMT and the CCP. He's been talking a lot in a lot more friendly terms about the 1992 consensus, that sort of thing. Relations uh, between the CCP and the KMT under Eric Jew are still definitely not as warm as they were when Maing Jiu, uh, the former, former president Maing Jiu, was the KMT chair. Um, and you know, for example, previous KMT chairs who were much more pro on the pro unification side of the party, people like Mind Joe, Lian Zhan, these former uh, chair chairpersons, including Hong Xiaoju, they would all go to China in their capacity as KMT chair. They would meet with Xi Jinping um, in many cases, but Eric Zhu has only been sending his deputy. And I think that's because he's very aware of the optics if he goes himself. So he's kind of trying to play it both ways here. He's trying to uh, appease the pro-unification wing in his party, but he knows that if he gets too friendly with China, then the public won't trust him and the KMT with governing because people are concerned about China. Um, I see. And would would Ma's visit be seen to be coordinated between with, with Eric Ju? I mean, is he coordinating as regards the trip with Eric Ju, or is it just something he's doing independently? Um, okay. <laughs> um, what I think happened there is, frankly, I think that Eric Ju would be much happier if Ma didn't go. Um because the optics are not that good. Um, now, but my strong, strong suspicion here is that Maing Zhou basically said, I'm going to China, and, and he's the former president and still has a, a very, he's still a major heavyweight in the party, and Eric Zhu really wasn't in a strong position to say no. That's what I think is going on here. Okay, got now, but uh, they did coordinate. They, they, they pretty clearly did coordinate. And Eric Jew, I suspect that the reason why Ma says he's not going to meet with any um, 
Now, this was listed on the KMT website, these details about Ma's trip, uh, that he wouldn't conduct any political meetings. He would not go to Beijing. He would not meet Xi Jinping. Um, so there was a list of, of those things. Now, I haven't had a chance to get to the news today, um, but I did scan and see that Ma has said some things that are not going to sound very good to mainstream voters in Taiwan. Um, okay, maybe we'll course, come to those in, in a second because there is, I have seen some discussion on Twitter, but I, I did want to ask you, I believe he's leading a delegation of students and youth leaders. Who then, if he's not meeting any political figures, uh, who is he expected to, to meet and, and where is he visiting exactly? Um, well, he's, yeah, there's two, two major thrusts to this trip. I guess you could say three. Uh, one is he wants to go to his ancestor's grave for tomb sweeping and, you know, go through the proper rituals at his ancestor's graves. So there's that personal element uh, to the trip. Um, if you look at his itinerary, it's almost all, I guess you could say, the greatest hits of the KMT when they were in China sites. You know, like, you know, Sun Yat-sen's mausoleum and, you know, sites of battles and stuff like that. Um, so he, he clearly wants to, these are 30, I believe it's 30 students affiliated with his Mind Joe Foundation. So they're going to be uh, deep blue. And so he wants to take them on this tour of sort of, you know, past glory sites of, of the KMT in China. He also wants the students to meet with academics and other students at some one or more universities uh, in China. So there's academic exchange is, a, is another aspect of the trip. Do you think uh, this visit will do anything to relieve the current state of heightened tensions between the PRC and Taiwan? Uh, well, it, it might in very small ways. On Andrew Xia's trip uh, earlier this year, and that was his second delegation, um, after that trip, uh, the, the Chinese side lifted some restrictions on imports of things like certain types of fish and agricultural products. Um, so that, in a sense, you could say that it did ever so slightly decrease tensions on that sense. Um, but I do think that the CCP did that very intentionally to try and bolster the KMT uh, because the KMT now is campaigning on, you know, peace with China and dialogue with China. And so I think that they wanted to sort of send an, uh, a message to the people in Taiwan that, you know, if you would elect a KMT government, things will be more peaceful and dialogue will reopen. After the Andrew Xia there, there was a, he did a second delegation earlier this year. He, his meetings went as high as with uh, Wang Huning. He's, I believe he's ranked number four uh, in the Chinese Communist Party. But there's been a lot of talk in the press that Xi Jinping has tasked Wang with um, coming up with some new formulations on China. Specifically, you know, obviously the one country, two systems has been totally discredited with the Taiwan public. So to come up with some kind of new formulation, 
There's even the possibility, um, I don't know if this will happen or not, but there's also the possibility that, that you know, they may be reconsidering the 1992 consensus as well. Um, because both of these concepts are deeply, 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 deeply unpopular in Taiwan. And, um, you know, like 85, 90%, over 90%, sort of depending on the poll of the public dislikes both of those concepts. So Wang is basically Xi Jinping's number two on Taiwan, and he's the one really kind of tasked with doing the political legwork to try and come up with some new new formulation. Um, that was initially reported by Nikkei, and I've seen some other outlets have also said similar things. So we'll see what comes out of it, because I, I can't see a formulation that would work any better than... Um, you know, because it's all going to be underpinned by, um, you know, the one, you know, what China calls the one China principle. So, okay. yeah. And I see you know. I see a Reuters uh, news agency headline that quoted Ma as saying, we are all Chinese. But uh, as I mentioned earlier on Twitter, there was a quick rebuttal by many people responding that the majority of Taiwanese no longer identify as Chinese. Uh, I know there's... There's presidential elections coming up and so on. Um, do you think these kind of comments will uh, uh, damage the KMT's uh, chances in these in these upcoming elections? Yes. Um, well, let's put it this way. It'll, it'll definitely damage the image of the party in, in the short term with, with a lot of people. Um, but a lot of those people would never vote for KMT anyway. I mean, at this point, um, about two-thirds of the public identifies as Taiwanese only, about one third as both Taiwanese and Chinese, and about 2%, um, you know, around 2% identifying as Chinese only. And one little detail about that Chinese only thing that almost nobody mentions, but I think is really quite important, mm -hmm. is that there are over half a million spouses in Taiwan who've gotten citizenship, but they were actually born in China or Hong Kong. Plus, there's still a fair number of people, um, sort of a mind, Joe's generation, who were actually born in China and fled to Taiwan in 1949. So if you do the math, the 2% that identifies solely as Chinese, probably the vast majority, if not almost all of them are actually born in China or maybe they're the next generation children of parents from China. It does seem that the, the KMT are having some success recently. I saw that uh, Chiang Wan An, also known as Wayne Chiang of the KMT, was elected the mayor of Taipei uh, back in December. Uh, he being the son of uh, former Vice Premier John Chiang and also believed to be the great-grandson of former President of the Republic of China, Chiang Kai-shek. And in an article you wrote yourself uh, for the Taiwan News entitled uh, entitled Curious Shifts in Taiwan's Political Landscape. I also see mention of the Taiwan People's Party, the TPP, and former Taipei Mayor Ko Wen-je, uh, also weighing in on, on the race uh, for president. 
Uh, and of course, mm-hmm. then you have the DPP who are the incumbents as well. It seems like a rather complex situation, but can you give us a brief, uh, high-level summary of, of how it's evolving at this point? In the presidential race, um, you've got Coenza of the Taiwan People's Party. He's already long declared. We've known he's going to run for years now. Um, on the DPP side, we've got Lai Qingde, and he's going to be formally anointed, but nobody's challenging him in the primary, so it's all but a done deal. So we know who the, the Democratic Progressive Party candidate is and the Taiwan People's Party candidate. The giant mystery, and again, I haven't had a chance to get to my news today, um, but who will be the KMT's candidate? And that's really where all the attention is right now. Um, the front runner in the polls for ages, and he was uh, also has been rated for years the most popular politician in the country, New Taipei Mayor Hoyoi, um, has just recently started plunging in the polls. I mean, like dramatically. He just lost like 12 points um, in two months, which is a pretty sharp drop. I mean, to be sure, he still has high approval ratings, but they're not stratospheric like they were before. Um, and so he's actually, in my opinion, starting to look a bit weak. The other problem with him is his family, he's from a family that, that speaks, you know, Hoklo Taiwanese, and his, his family's been in Taiwan for hundreds of years, and there's elements within the party um, the elites, the party elites that have the uh, have a lot of power at the top levels of the party, m- most of whom are what I call 49er families, who are from, they're from families that fled China in 1949, uh, or Deep Blues, we also call them. Um, a lot of them have been coming out and making statements like they're afraid that Hoyui would be a Li Hui 2.0, by which they mean that he's a secret supporter of Taiwan independence and that sort of thing. Uh, they also accuse him of having blue skin and green bones, um, basically like saying blue, i.e. KMT on the outside, but green, uh, or i.e. DPP on the inside. The reality is nobody actually knows because he almost never comments on national-level politics stuff. So we actually have no idea what Hoyui thinks about relations with China, relations with the United States. He only gives the vaguest answers, if anything at all. So nobody really knows where he stands. And that's part of the reason why I think there's so much suspicion within the KMT. So, but he's, up until just the other day, he was the most popular potential candidate. Um, Another potential candidate would be Eric Ju, the chair himself. And he pretty obviously wants to run for president um, because he did previously in the 2016 race. Um, And he's fresh off of a big win in the landslide win in the November local elections. Um, He's much more acceptable to the party elites. And then you have some other oddball characters in the mix. Um, You've got Terry, Terry Goh, uh, the founder of Foxconn, who actually isn't, he ran in the primary in 2015. He lost in a huff. He got furious, attacked the KMT, and left the party. 
And now he wants to rejoin the KMT and run in the primary. But the party party rules say that he's not eligible to rejoin the party until September, which would be after the primary. Wow. Um, so, however, the party can change the rules if they want to make an exception for him. They can definitely do that. So everyone's kind of waiting to see whether Eric Jew will let him back into the party or not. I think that there's a, going to be a big push to get Taijung Mayor Lu Xiu-Yen to be the party's candidate. She doesn't have any of the major problems that Hoyoi, people don't su suspect her. She's from a 49er family. She's from central Taiwan. Women have been doing electorally better than men in recent elections. For example, in the last local election, two-thirds of female candidates won their races versus half of male candidates sort of give you an idea. And this has been a trend that's been going on for a while. She's also, her stronghold is central Taiwan, which is a generally a bellwether uh, battleground, you know, it's kind of the battleground state area of Taiwan. But recently, Eric Jew said there's not going to be any primary at all, which is a massive power grab. So the candidate is going to be chosen, presumably by Eric Jew himself. And there's quite a bit of surprise and shock about this, but, uh, you know, they can do that. Um, normally, though, um, in past years, you would have public opinion polling to see who is the, the strongest candidate. Or you might have party member votes or a split between both. You know, a, a common pattern in, in the past has also been 70% public opinion poll, 30% party member poll. Um, so, but in primaries, how they're chosen in Taiwan is a major strategic choice, unlike, say, for example, the United States. So this is a very interesting move by Jew. Everyone's on pins and needles waiting to see who he's going to choose. Um, and so, so we, because we don't know who the KMT candidate is going to be, and that's going to change the race in all kinds of interesting and when can we expect a, a KMT announcement? Well, again, as of uh, yesterday, um, there was no announcement on when he would make the announcement. I see. So, so we're hanging in on, on tender hooks, as, as you say. Yeah. The other topic that has uh, Taiwan in the news lately has been uh, that Honduras President Xiomara Castro del Zelaya has established official diplomatic relations with the PRC, thus forfeiting formal relations with Taiwan. Can you tell us what happened there? In her campaign, um, she ran, and one of her, you know, it was included in her platform that she would shift ties to China. I mean, you know, so it, it was, it, we've known this is coming for quite a while. That it took this long was actually more of a surprise. Now, the Taiwan side says that uh, Honduras was demanding a lot of money and debt forgiveness in exchange to keep ties. Um, the Honduras side denies this. Um, but this this is something that's fairly common. Um, th she ran on a platform. I mean, she's, you know, she, she's ideologically on the left. And historically, those who are elected, uh, you know, ideologically on the left, for example, Daniel Ort Ortega, in Nicaragua, same sort of thing. They tend to be a lot more friendly and have a much more positive view of the Chinese Communist Party than right-wing parties do. So right now, Paraguay 
has a right-wing government and they're sticking with Taiwan, but the opposition, uh, the left opposition, has included that you know they they've been talking about s- switching relations to China. Um, and then there's usually two things that these countries want: they want Belt and Road Initiative investment from China, mm-hmm. um, and they want to open up markets in China for their their products because Taiwan just isn't as big a market, you know, as China is. <laughs> For obvious reasons um and the chinese government you know has a lot more money than taiwan's government does so but the countries that tend to stick with taiwan are suspicious of china and their intent intentions they've seen a lot of other countries end up deeply in debt to china um, they've seen that china frequently breaks its belt and road initiative promises um and also the the amount of money that China has been doling out on BRI projects has declined significantly since 2016. So some countries seem to want to stick with Taiwan, and usually there's an ideological element to that because Taiwan is a very friendly, cooperative, helpful democracy, and their diplomacy usually is, you know, helps you know farmers use new seedlings in their crops and education initiatives for women joining business and these these kinds of things okay i mean what is the reaction being like on the street in taiwan to, to this announcement i mean is does this affect public opinion or is, is there a big public opinion on this type of uh change by honduras I, not really Okay. I mean, there's a small percentage of the population that will care. But I think, you know, it's just, this has been going on now since the late 60s. Or maybe even earlier, you know. I, um, I mean, I could actually say going back since 1949. Um, countries have been shifting their diplomatic re- recognition to Beijing continuously ever since, I guess, 1950, I think it was, when the Brits... Uh, the Brits and the Russians, I think it would have been late 49, uh, 1950 or so, they shifted diplomatic relations to Beijing. Um, so it's been going on for a long time. Next question I wanted to ask, though, was regarding uh, President Tsai Ing-wen. And President, President Tsai is planning to meet uh, Speaker of the U.S. House, Kevin McCarthy, on her upcoming stopover in California. Uh, meeting the Speaker in California to reduce the risk of drawing the ire of the CCP. Uh, but commentators are saying that the CCP may have planned or somehow engineered this Honduras move to coincide with Tsai's meeting to send a message. Do you think there's any truth in that? It's possible. Um, you know, I, I, I suspect that, you know, they've been talking about this, you know, I, because again, you know, Castro said she was going to do this at some point. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the timing ended up being tied to this trip, but it, I, I would not be surprised at all if it isn't, if it just, because these kind of things, you know, they go through processes. Um, and I would have thought it would probably be more advantageous to China if they did it much closer to the election. But, you know, um, I, you know, I really could go either way on that one. I, I just don't know. Okay. Nevertheless, Tsai, Tsai, uh, President Tsai will meet the speaker in California, I guess, to avoid, to avoid or prevent the previous uh, Nancy Pelosi follow-up 
that we had uh, back in August. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, here in Western Europe, um, uh, people are, there isn't much news coverage really uh, day to day of the level of, of grey warfare and other tactics that uh, are being conducted by the CCP against Taiwan. But some of the stories that have made the news here recently have been the, the cutting of the internet cables to Matsu Island, one of Taiwan's outlying islands, and uh, the CCP involvement being suspected but there was another one um, which uh, is is a lot more sinister and it's uh, relating to um, a Chinese nationalist blogger named Zhou Xiaoping um, he recently proposed a resolution at a session of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference this two sessions that was going on a few weeks ago and his proposal was to draw up a list of Taiwanese separatists to be killed during a special military operation to take Taiwan. He also recommended in the same uh, proposal uh, that the state compile and issue sanctions and a punishment list of Taiwanese foundations and companies um, and capital that, uh, that, that provided funds or donated political contributions to the DPP or other Taiwanese separatists. My question again is, is this type of thing uh, getting much uh, notice in Taiwan? And what do you make of it? I mean, yeah, it, obviously this gets, you know, noted. Um, but it's, it's, it's worth noting that China has already announced that they have a list of, you know, what they call, uh, what was that? There, there's a specific phrasing, like diehard separationists. They had a, one of these clunky ways of phrasing it. Um, and, uh, you know, and they, they've put on the list, you know, a bunch of major politicians. Now it, it's the, that list doesn't call for them to be killed. It calls for them to be, I believe, arrested if memory serves, um, you know, so, uh, and, you know, sanctioned if they, you know, but I mean, the people who are on the list are just kind of shrug. It's like, you know, not like I'm going to go to China, you know, I'm not that stupid. Um, so, um, so, you know, I mean, this guy, this, this individual, you know, there are people like that in, in China. As far as I know, they're, they're not actually doing, you know, they're not actually doing what he's suggesting. And keep in mind that, you know, if they were going to invade, they would be doing that anyway. You know, it's, it's. This is, you know, this is the Chinese Communist Party here. They're 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 a brutal, murderous regime, and if they invaded Taiwan, then yeah, they would be doing exactly that, regardless. But the real big, the big thing would be if they decide to launch an invasion. That's a much much bigger deal than they would have a list of politicians and prominent people to kill. So, you know, I. <laughs> The, the real big issue is if China is going to attack. The issue is not whether or not they will kill people when they get here. They w definitely will. So regardless of what this guy says, you know, if they invaded, they were going to they'd do it anyway. Yeah, I guess a, a, a statement like this and, and this chap went on to say on, on Weibo that his resolution had been adopted. I guess a statement like this. Uh, definitely will draw attention in in West in the West here, where we don't normally see these type of things. But uh, I will the the wonder the thing we wonder about is if it's just cranking up the pressure on another another way to crank up the pressure on Taiwan. 
as part of the ongoing campaign of the CCP. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that he wasn't censored kind of tells us that the government, at the very least, is, is kind of like shrugging and going, okay, and possibly they're even actively encouraging him. I, you know, I don't know, but that he's not being sen- sentenced, oh, sorry, being censored, that by itself sends a message. So, you know, um, but uh, th- there's one thing to keep in mind um, in like, so for example, when the Pelosi visit happened and then China uh, killed the Davis line, uh, which is the center line in the Taiwan Strait, which they'd only ever crossed with military, uh, with their military, since the line was created in the 50s, uh, you could count the number of times that they crossed that line on one hand. And then all of a sudden they just flooded the zone, crossing the Davis line and, and then conducting massive war games encircling Taiwan in Taiwan's AID, AIDZ. Um, and but the, here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize about this a lot of people said oh nancy pelosi visiting taiwan provoked china to do this which is totally false there's no way that china could conduct war games on that scale on just a few days notice because it wasn't known when she was coming until only a few days before she came so they were just waiting for an excuse. You know, they were going to do this regardless. If it hadn't have been, you know, if it had been, hadn't have been Nancy Pelosi, they just would have found another one. I mean, they even had lists of thousands of products they were going to ban uh, from importing, you know, ban, uh, ban Taiwanese imports. You can't come up with a list that extensive, again, in just a few days. So, you know, China decides they're going to do these things, and then they find an excuse to do them. So, you know, I, I think that's something that's kind of important to keep in mind. Um, you know, so a lot of people are like, well, you know, you know, the Speaker of the House McCarthy shouldn't go to Taiwan because it'll provoke China. No, uh, if he came to Taiwan or as, pre- or as it looks like it's going to be now, President Tsai meets with him in California. Either way, if China wants to do something, they will just do it. They might find this a convenience excuse, although it doesn't appear that the military here said they don't see any signs of anything being prepared this time on the Chinese side. But, you know, so I, I, I don't really worry about these things because, you know, there's really kind of almost no such thing as provoking China. China provokes itself, really, is what's going on there. That's probably a good uh, note to end on, especially, I think, uh, for, for Western politicians and politicians in Ireland who might be listening, because I think it just, uh, if there's hesitation in terms of visiting Taiwan, it should tell us that we should not we should just go and do the right thing rather than worrying about what the Chinese think. So uh, Yeah, and a lot of countries are doing exactly that right now. Um, there's a, a Czech delegation of, I think it's 150, 160 people um, which includes, I believe, the equivalent of their Speaker of the House, is in Taiwan right now, or maybe they just left yesterday or today. I, I don't remember exactly because I haven't gotten to the news today. Um, but there, there have been delegations. You know, the Lithuanians have been particularly active. 
in exchanges. Um, you know, there's some of some of the Eastern European countries have been particularly active. The UK, the United States, um, these are some of the countries, and, and Japan, uh, quite notably, have been saying sending quite high-level delegations. Um, and there is talk that the newly elected Czech president may come to Taiwan. Um, he actually, when he was president-elect, he spoke on the phone with President Tsai. Um, and, and he says he would like to visit Taiwan. So that may actually happen. A sitting president of Czechia might actually come visit Taiwan. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I would say the same, same with Ireland is, you know, don't worry about it. Um, you know, it is China will be will it, it, it offends itself, really. It's just kind of what it all comes down to. My thanks to Courtney Donovan-Smith for joining us on Perspectives with Nilo. And you can follow Courtney on Twitter at Donovan underscore Smith. And we've also linked his details on our blog site, as well as some additional links and references for you to dive deeper into today's topic. You can find it all at pwnilo.com. Perspectives with Nilo is also available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Instagram and Twitter. Well, that's it for the moment. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Slalom Spanacht.